Amen. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles, please, today to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Book of Mark, chapter 14. I heard about a young fellow who wrote a love letter to his girlfriend. He was waxing eloquent. He said to her, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the widest river for you. I would crawl across the burning sands of the desert for you. Then he put a P.S. at the end of his note. And he said, if it doesn't rain Wednesday night, I'll be over to see you. I hope that's not uh, the level of our commitment to the new year. You know, many people... Uh, verbalize all sorts of things uh, that they are going to be and do for the Lord. But uh, this is a new, a new year, and we are bound and determined this year to become the person that God wants us to be. And isn't that the most important thing in the final analysis? It's not what somebody else wants you to be. It's not what your wife or your husband wants you to be necessarily, but it's what God wants you to be. And so we'd like to begin our reading uh, this morning in Mark chapter 14, verse number 32. Then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. <laughs> then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch. It's interesting that Jesus never got so close to death as he did right here. He almost died before he got to the cross. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit later. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch. And what he was asking Peter, James, and John to do is just not stay awake, you know, a lot of the Christian life is just staying awake. You know, I've said many times, 90% of success is showing up. He says, I want you to stay awake. But he, what he also wanted from them is he wanted them to stay awake and pray. And we'll see that in a minute. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? And I think it's, uh, we could put a little, per, a, a little carrot in there, a little parentheses, uh, the word prayer. And he's saying to his disciples, couldn't you even pray for one hour? You know, it's been my experience that people, Christians, who learn to pray for one hour a day, God does something special for them. And the reason why is because uh, they have this strong connection with Christ. And, uh, and whenever we have a strong connection with Christ, he trusts us enough to use us with some of his important tasks. And so Jesus was put out with them. They couldn't stay awake and pray for an hour. And so he suggests this in verse 38. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Stay awake, be prayerful. And then he makes the statement, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Now, for those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, that's the statement to underline. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We think about that every first of the year. You know, we want to change so much. We want to do so many things for the Lord. It's just like the first of the year, turn me loose. And we have all these good intentions. And sometimes thereafter, they just evaporate. Uh, we're way up on the mountain, and all of a sudden, it's gone. Well, uh, we know what Jesus is talking about right here. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We can all identify with this. I was reading a survey on the Internet that said 40 to 45% of American adults make one or more resolutions each year. Among the top resolutions, you know what they are. They're all the same every year. You know, you can look, you can look on the Internet. They never change. Uh, the first one is always, I'm going to lose... Boy, you got that right. Especially after Christmas, it's like, holy cow, what happened? <laughs> That's always the first one, and you guys know exactly. You're right on. Uh, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to get my money management under control. I'm going to do this and do that. And I was interested in the survey. It uh, showed in the survey how uh, unsuccessful, for the most part, we really are at these things. For instance, after one week, 25% of the people that made the resolution said, that's enough for me. After two weeks, uh, about 30% of the people who made the resolution says, that's it, I quit. After a month, uh, we're down to about uh, 40% of the people said, that's all, I quit. But after six months, uh, there's... Uh, there's about 46% that are still sticking to their resolution. And I thought, you know, that's not really too bad. That's really not too bad. And so the moral of that whole thing is this. While a lot of people make New Year's resolutions and they do break them, research shows that making resolutions is useful. People who explicitly make resolutions are 10 times more likely to attain their goals than people who don't make resolutions. Someone said one time, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And that's why sometimes we are fearful uh, to make a resolution because we think, you know, I've tried that before. I'm not going to try that again because it doesn't feel good when I can't make it. You know, our lives are made up of various parts, segments that always need improvement. Now, the first of the year is a good time to think about those things. Um, and uh, that's what we're thinking about right now. Uh, and we ask ourselves questions like this. You know, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Am I going in the right direction? It's a good time to reevaluate our life. It really is. It's the best time as far as I'm concerned. Now, what are the goals that you are more likely to reach? What are they? Let's just put that, frame that in a question. What goals are more likely for you to reach? Well, here's part of the answer right here. Those you don't have to reach alone. You know, you go over to South Park now, people are all over that place. Man, they're walking like crazy. Uh, they did the same thing the last, the last year, and next year they'll do the same thing. But most of them have a, have a friend that goes with them. They call them up and said, hey, listen, you've got to help me. Let you and I go walking and exercising together. 
uh, because they know that accountability is important. And when somebody tries to squeeze out of the commitment, the other person puts some pressure on and will help them get through it. Well, the goals most likely to reach are those you don't have to reach alone. But remember, Jesus said this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak, right? I mean, we have these good intentions. Galatians 5.17 says this, the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. Now, I know that you know that the Holy Spirit wants us to get better, right? Sure. He wants improvements in all areas of our life. Uh, but the flesh doesn't. The flesh wants us to stay the same, to regress, to get worse. And so there's this struggle in our life with the flesh, the old sinful nature, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, Galatians goes on and it says this. These two forces are constantly fighting each other and your choices are never free from this conflict. Every time you set out to do something good that's going to improve your life, uh, the old sinful nature raises up and says, listen, I'm going to throw all sorts of obstacles in your way. Now, we need help. We really do. But we have a great advantage. And you know what the advantage is? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. One of the first verses I learned to memorize years ago is 1 John 4, 4. And uh, this verse fits, I think, good in this spot. Let's read it together. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, that refers to the Holy Spirit. And so we have this human flesh of ours, the sinful nature, that doesn't want us to improve our life. Uh, but we have the Holy Spirit who is so transcends that sinful nature, is so much greater than that there's no simple way to explain it uh, in human terms. Uh, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There is no force as greater, greater, of course, in the Holy Spirit. And he is to be our helper in helping you and me improve our lives. Because he knows we can't do it. He knows that our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And so, whenever Jesus was leaving his disciples, he gave them this, this lesson in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. He sat them down and he said, these are my final words to you. And uh, he gave them this short message. Let's read it together. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice, I'm going to give you another helper. The word another is an interesting word. It literally means another of the same quality. And they were distressed at the thought of losing Jesus. And so Jesus said, listen, relax. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to be your helper, and he is the same quality as I am. He and I are one. And so this we need to be reminding ourselves of, 
that whenever we think about improving our lives, we have, in the words of Jesus, a divine helper who is none other than God himself, the Holy Spirit. Now, these goals that we attempt to set to improve our life are are most likely to be reached if we don't have to reach them alone. And so I'm saying to you today, you're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. And there are also goals that are prayed about. Before Christmas hit our church, if you can remember that far back, if you're out of the days yet enough to remember, remember I was speaking through the book of Mark. And Jesus was sending his disciples out and he gave them this power and he said, listen, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick and I want you to cast out demons and I want you to do all these things and the power of the devil will be uh, trodden down. And they did pretty good for a while until one man came to Jesus and said, listen, my son has been demon possessed for many years and I brought him to your disciples and your disciples couldn't extract this demon from him. And, of course, this was easy for Jesus, and all Jesus did was say the word, and the demon left. And so the disciples said, why couldn't we do this? What happened to our power? And Jesus said it was a lack of prayer and fasting. And so if you and I set these goals to improve our life, they are goals that must be bathed in prayer, because that's where the power of the Holy Spirit is released in our life. The goals that we are going to accomplish in our life for this next year are goals that you don't have to reach alone. We have the Holy Spirit. And they are goals that are prayed about. What should our prayer look like? It should look like this. Lord, give me your goals for my life. This should be our first prayer to God in the new year. Let's say it together, all right? Lord, Give me your goals for my life. Now, I know that when you're young, you have all sorts of goals. You know, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to have my life. This is, I'm going to construct my life this way and that way. But as you grow older, you begin to realize that, that this, in the final analysis, is the best prayer. Lord, what goals do you want for my life? Now, this is how this thing works. As we read through the Bible systematically and we pray that prayer, God gives us his goals for our life. God speaks to us, and you've heard this simple little statement, it's been around for years, you know, whenever, whenever we pray, it's us talking to God, and whenever we read the word, it's God talking to us, and that's how we communicate. And so that's why when you open the Bible sometimes, and you say, wow, where did that come from? Well, that's a message from God to you. He knows where to put you on the appointed date. Well, Lord, give me your goals. Uh, goals that God wants you to reach. That's the most important kind of goals. And the most important kind of the most important kind are spiritual goals. Spiritual goals for our life. And the reason why is because your spiritual life will affect every other single thing that you do in life. It will affect every other single thing. For instance, let's get the advice of Paul today. You know, he did pretty good. He wrote most of the New Testament. And you and I quote him all the time. And, and so he had this understudy. His name was Timothy. And so he was talking to Timothy about 
how to grow spiritually. And this is what he said in 1 Timothy 4, 8. Let's read this together, all right? Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. Now, physical training is good, and many of you are doing that to different degrees. Some of you work pretty hard at it. Others uh, tinker with it, but at least you're trying. And that's all good because that pays big dividends. Physical training is a good thing, but training for godliness is much better. Now, let's look at 1 Timothy 4, 8 in the New King James. Same verse, just phrased a little differently. Let's read it. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This training, spiritual training, covers all areas of your life. And so this has to be the top priority in your life. You know, we, uh, we do this and we do this and we do this and God says, now do this first. Because this has, will have that trickle-down effect and it will affect so many other areas of your life. If you grow in God, you will be a better husband. You will be a better wife. You will be a better mother. You will be a better father. You will be a better church member. You will be a better worker on the job. Because the Bible says it affects all things. It colors your whole single life. And uh, one of the first things that we do in order for this to take place is we have to give up control of our lives to God. We have to surrender. Because, you know, it's no fun facing the new year and saying, okay, God, this, I'll give you this part of my life, but I, ha I want this part. And then later in February, we say, okay, God, I'll give you this part, but I have these two parts. In order to really get the full impact of this, we have to give up control of our life to God. We have to raise the white flag of surrender and say, Lord, I'm just not giving you lip service. I'm giving you my life. That's what I'm giving you. That's what I'm trying to give you, Lord. Giving up control of our life. Uh, I, I think uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 articulates that pretty good. Uh, let's read this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now notice it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not part of your heart. That means give everything you have to God. Uh, give it all to him. Give it all up. You've heard that statement. Let's, let's go out on the football field and give it all up, okay? They can't get off the field without that, by the way, or they don't get out there again. Well, the Lord says, listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't be looking to yourselves and your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and then I will get you to the goal. I'll direct your paths. Now, baptism is a symbol of this. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because your sins have been forgiven. I don't uh, know anybody that has been baptized. 
uh, that has had any other intention than giving it all up for God. Buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, off to a new life to tell the world that things have changed in our life. That's a picture of that. But the stark reality of it is, is after we're baptized, that's the second step of Christian obedience, everybody needs to identify with Jesus Christ through baptism. After we do that, we find out, hey, you know, surrendering our life to the Lord is just not that easy. We still have these areas of our life that we want to control. Uh, and so we have the best intentions. But then we spend the rest of our life trying to figure out how to surrender the rest of our life to God. But this is so interesting. Uh, that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. That last sentence means this. He will bring you to an appointed goal. If your goal is in with a framework of God's will for your life, he'll get you there. He will get you there. You won't get there, he'll get you there. Uh, because you have the helper. You have God. How much more power do you need? Or how much more power can you get? Well, you can't get any more than that. That's the ultimate, right? That is the epitome of power. The power of God inside you and me. So uh, that's the advice of Paul. Uh, let's take his advice. Let's give it all up. And then we have Peter, and uh, you know, Peter did pretty good too as an apostle. And I find that as he's writing his last book, 2 Peter, he signs off with verse number 18. Let's read this together, please. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This is his last verse. He said, now listen, you've heard everything else I'm saying. Pay attention to this. I'm leaving you with these words. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Uh, now the word grow there is a present imperative verb and means this. Be continually growing. Never stop growing in God. Now that's good for all of us because all of us struggle with this from time to time. You know, we grow for a while, we're all excited, and boy, we're ready to take on the world, and we get up on this little plateau, and we spend a year there. And we get bored, and we think, well, the Christian life is kind of boring for me right now. I don't think that the Christian life should ever be boring for anybody at any time. Now, that's, that's in the perfect world, and that's not the world that I live in, but that's the world that God wants us to challenge us to live there. That's his challenge. He doesn't want us to... To, to grow a while and then kind of like flatten out, uh, to be on this plateau. He wants us to keep growing, and that's what that word means, continue to grow. And growing produces the result that you want and I want as a Christian. But we can't get the result unless we grow. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 is um, a commentary on this. Let's read it, okay? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Let's stop. That means blessed is the person that doesn't hang out with the wrong kind of people. You want to improve your life? 
improve your friends. You, you hang out with the wrong kind of people and you can take the first word off that sentence. You lose the blessing. Because uh, evil company corrupts good character. It'll eventually wear you down. That doesn't mean we're supposed to always be praying for people like that. We're supposed to always be reaching out to them, but not making it a habit to just hang out with them all the time like we used to before we were saved. Okay? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Let's read this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He thinks about God. Okay, let's go to the next page, please. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, this is the time of the year that people are talking, have a, and they greet us, and they say, have a prosperous year. Well, we know how to do that right here. We want prosperity, but we want God's prosperity, not the world's. And those are two different things. And, you know, God knows how to give us the prosperity that is so far advanced over and above the prosperity of the world. And so he says, first of all, this is how to get it. I want you to grow in grace. Now, the word grace is used in different ways in the New Testament. But a lot of times it simply means favor or blessing. And so, so uh, Peter's saying, listen, I want you to grow in the blessing and the favor of God. Boy, I know those of you who've been reading through your Bible with us, we've been seeing a lot of this. When you do the right thing, you get the right result. When you draw close to Christ, he pours out his blessing on you. When we regress and we get away from Christ, we lose the blessing. So uh, he's saying, listen, I want you to grow in the blessing of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. The blessing of God. Boy, just think this last year how much of the, God has tried to bless you in your life. It's incredible. He said, I want you to grow in God's blessing. Now, I want God's blessing for you, and I want God's blessing for me, and I want God's blessing for our church, and there's nothing wrong with that because God wants to bless his people. He really does. You just kind of translate that into the human family, and you look at your kids, and you want to be the biggest blessing that you can be to your kids, right? I mean, you want to, like, bless their socks off, right? Uh, you, want to, you want them to look at you and be blessed. And God wants to bless his children like that. And so Peter says, I want you to grow in grace. And then in knowledge, he wants us to learn the things of God. And we do that by reading the scriptures, assimilating the Bible. Uh, just ask the Lord, Lord, give me a love for your word. Uh, and you know, that's the kind of prayer that God would love to answer for you. Uh, reading the Bible and then picking up pointers from spiritual leaders, Sunday school teachers. The Wednesday service here in the church. I dare say this, that every time you come to church, God has some spiritual pointer to give you in your life. Because I listen to your comments as you go out to church. Pastor, why did you preach to me today? I said, well, usually your husband told me all about you, that's why. 
I, I, he wrote it all down. I just read what he said. You know, whenever you preach about things that are related to life, it's about all of us. It's about you. It's about me. And we all fit into there because human nature doesn't change. And so whenever you come to church, there is something. God does have something for you. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss out on the Pick up on the pointers from spiritual teachers and then apply that knowledge to our daily life. You know, we're just not here in the church to informationalize you, to fill your brain with, with information. Uh, what we're supposed to do is to learn something and then go use it. And boy, then what happens is that when we go use it, God gives us something else to learn. And then we go use that, and it's just kind of like it's supposed to flow through you. Well, uh, that's, that's the major goal, our spiritual life. Let's set some spiritual goals this year, and let's set a few family goals this year. You know, uh, we have a lot of older people in our church. Our church is some part of our church is growing older. And, you know, what happens is whenever people grow older, they begin to look back over, the, over their life and say, listen, my family uh, really is uh, on earth the most important part of my life. And I wish I would have spent more time being a better dad for my kid, and I wish I would have spent more time of being a better husband or being a better father. Or I just wish that I could, I just wish. Well, listen, you know, a church is a place to come together to learn from those that have walked before you. And so family goals are important. And, uh, and Joshua 24:15 I think, is a good example of this. He's getting down toward the end of his life, uh, and he's trying to encourage the people of Israel. And this is what he says. And if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which are the, your fathers served that are on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is interesting because it's toward the end of his life. And he's still making this commitment. And I believe this, that, you know, I know that you're saying, well, you know, years ago I made that commitment. You know, you have to, like, refresh your commitment every now and then. Because we have this way of forgetting what we committed to. And so, and so he said, listen... Even though I'm older in my years now, I want to go on record as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know of any woman, a Christian woman, that doesn't want a man in her home to stand up and say, as for me and our house, we're going to serve the Lord. And vice versa. I don't know any man that wouldn't want a Christian woman to stand up and say, for me and my house, we are serving the Lord. And there's nothing better than husband and wife to agree on that proposition. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes it just has to be the wife who stands up and says, listen, if you don't go with me, I'm going anyway. I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to train our kids in Christ. Or sometimes it's just the husband that says, listen, if you can't adopt this, I'm going anyway. I'm going, to, I'm going to serve the Lord the best I can in my house. Uh, family goals are important. And so I want to encourage you this year to make a few important family goals in your life. And then there's employment goals. Wow. Uh, the reality of life is we all have to go to work, right? Uh, we need money to 
pay the rent. We need money to put the food on the table. But not everybody is in love with their workplace. And I'm not going to do a survey this morning. Not everybody's sitting here on Sunday saying, hey, listen, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow. You know, uh, not everybody's doing that. Now, I'm thankful for those of you who like to do what you do. That's a good thing. But not everybody's in that category. Some people hate to do what they do. And they dread the thought of getting up and going to work. But as Christians, we have to look at work in a different way. God has provided the work for you to pay the bills in your family, uh, to provide for your family. So he's the source, even though you don't like the channel right now. And so what we have to do is, is we don't quit the job, we change our attitude in the job. And here's a good way to think, Colossians 3.23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Another one is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. You're sitting here and you're saying, boy, you don't know the environment that I work in. It's terrible. Well, whenever you go to work and you're in that terrible environment, realize that you are the light that God placed in that place. And those people need somebody like you to be there no matter how bad the work situation is. Until God moves you. Now, it's not wrong. It's not wrong for you to to get a different job or to go to a different place and improve yourself, of course. But while you're there, be the best Christian light that you can be. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. And you know, we can translate it this way. You are the light of your workplace. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Whenever you have a light, you don't put a container over the light, you let the light shine. And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now when you make these goals, write down these goals and date the goal. That's important. You know, this time of the year is usually a blur. It's hard for you to think straight. Have you ever heard about the man who moved into a retirement community to spend the rest of his life there? It wasn't long until he had a number of friends among the the residents. There was one lady that he was especially attracted to, and she was attracted to him also. So they spent a lot of time together, and finally one evening he proposed, asking her to marry him. The next morning he woke up remembering the proposal, but he couldn't remember her answer. So he went to her and he said, you know, I'm really embarrassed. I proposed to you last night, but I couldn't remember if you said yes or no. She said, oh, thank goodness. Uh, I remembered saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. (laughs) You know, things change in life. You know, things do change. Sometimes I feel that way about New Year's resolutions. I tell myself, this year I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to exercise regularly. I'm uh, going to do all kinds of things to improve myself physically and spiritually. But then somehow I forget. Maybe you have that problem too. You know, goals that are not written down are just wishes, somebody said. And so I want to ask you to today take your sermon notes home, go over the points that we talked about, and make some goals in those areas, spiritual, family, and work, and start there, and and write it down and date it, and then chart your progress. You're going to find when you pray about those things, God's going to answer you, and God is going to help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, 
and your Christian life this year, and I, I, I don't want to be theatrical here, but your Christian life this year can be the best Christmas or the best Christian life that, that you've had this year. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, our heads bowed and our eyes closed uh, this morning. You know, it's at this time of the year that we, uh, that we think about turning over a new leaf. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Renewing our commitment to God. Uh, dusting off the dust and, and freshening up our Christian experience. But I think we need to set some goals. And uh, I think we need to write them down. And I think we need to head out and pray it through. I think we need to grow as a Christian in the blessing of God and in the knowledge of God. Don't miss any opportunity to be here at church this year. Move out the obstacles from away because God has something there for you that will help you when you arrive. And you'll be an encouragement to other people who need encouragement. And so right now in this solemnity of this hour and just say Lord I'm I'm going to follow this lead this challenge today and I'm going to set up some goals in my spiritual life in my family life and things are going to be different and in my in my workplace dear Lord we come into your presence to thank you for your word and the verses that just reverberate Lord down through the centuries to every generation all the way to us and we pray that we'll have the faith today and reach out and grasp these verses and claim them for ourselves in Jesus name we pray amen